Good morning, Heart of the Canyons. Everybody good? You look better in the light. And uh, Wow, what a powerful worship set this morning. Um, somebody asked me one time, what is my favorite verse in the Bible? I said, I don't know. It depends on which one I'm reading. I just kind of like them all, you know. Uh, and uh, I will say that um, some verses are more inspiring than other verses. How many of you like John 3.16 better, better than Leviticus 2.5? <laughs> I don't even know what Leviticus 2.5 says, so you might want to look that up this morning. But um, I do, and I, I find myself uh, vacillating between favorite songs, and my favorite song is the one that uh, um, I guess I'm singing, if it's true, and it was true, and he is truly worthy of our of our name, of his name today. Well, um, I want you to do me a favor this morning. I want everybody to take the possibility of guilt off the plate, okay? Everybody look at me. And I want you to take any possibility of guilt off your plate. I'm not here today to uh, beat you into service in the body of Christ. I have no intention of doing that. But what I want to do as a shepherd is I want to lead you to... Um, to discover or really pray about where God wants you to be involved in what he's going to be doing in his church um, in the days and weeks and months ahead. And uh, um, because I think God is going to do some exciting things. You may not feel that way, but I feel that way. I feel that way in a, such a unique way in my heart right now. You know, I some ways go back. And I'm, 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 I never want to go back, and I told you that last week. I don't want to go back to live, but I do want to go back to learn and, live and, and to look. Because I think we, look, we learn a lot when we look back, don't we? Anybody learn anything by looking back? Now, the problem with most of us is not that we're looking back. It's that we're trying to live back there, okay? Or we can't get out of it, be that good or bad, okay? And we can't escape the past. Well, the truth is is the past is in the past. My, one of my favorite quotes is Pumbaa, the great theologian Pumbaa, when he said, you need to put your behind in your past. <laughs> I mean, your past behind you. I think that's, he actually said it the other way. And I, I've always believed what Paul said, and he meant what he said when he said, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press on to the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and I, I think that that's such an important thing for us to learn. But we don't uh, just look back, we, we look at. We need to not only look back and learn some things, we need to look at where we are right now. Where are you uh, in relationship to your spiritual life? You know where you came from. You know what God did in the past in your life. And most of us have a pretty good idea of what we think God wants for us, us to be in the future. But the problem many times is that somehow in the journey, we forget that where we are is really what matters. And we have to identify where we are so we can learn from the past and look to the future. And, and I think it's so important that we do that. And really, that's what we want to do and have been doing uh, for the last couple of weeks. And that's what we want to do today. 
But today we want to think a little more tactically. Last week we looked a little more strategically, and I shared with you some pretty significant goals. Um, uh, 30,000 contacts with unchurched or unsaved people over the next year. 30,000. Now that seems overwhelming, doesn't it? But mechanisms that we have today allow us to do some things. Uh, how many of you got the Facebook ad on the Harvest, uh, what is this thing, Harvest Festival coming up on the, how many of you got that? Do you know how many of you shared that? 11 of you. You know how many people read it as a result of 11 people sharing it? You ready for this? 3,000. Isn't that awesome? Pretty awesome, isn't it? What would happen if 50 of you shared it? Now, I, I will tell you, it can't stop there. We're going to talk more about this in a particular point of the service this morning. Um, out of that 30,000, we hope to engage uh, many of those and hopefully just bring them into the environment of Heart of the Canyons, whatever that may be. Uh, obviously, we'll talk in a moment. Most people enter into a church through the doors of their Sunday or weekend services. That's when most people enter in. Um, and we want to see a significant number of those walk in. We want to engage them personally. We don't want to just let them walk in and walk out. And we have ever been to a church where nobody talked to you? I have. It was last week after church. Nobody wanted to talk to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I've done that. I've had that experience. Actually, I went to a church one time. And um, in this church, they always had a group prayer times during the middle of the service. And I walked in. And, and as churched as I am, I was really, it's kind of awkward to walk into a new church for the first time. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're making a difference. How churched you are when you walk into a church for the first time. It's kind of an awkward thing. And when I walked in, I, they handed me a bulletin, and, and it was just, it was like, it was this. It was just like, and I took it, and I went in, and I found me a seat. And when they had their prayer time, there was a group over here and a group over here, and I sat right here all by myself. I cried like a baby. No, I didn't. <laughs> and I came out of there thinking, I, I, I hope that never happens. So we don't do prayer groups. No. <laughs> um, that's not the reason. Um, but I, I just, I, I made a commitment those many, many years ago that, that our church would hopefully be a church when people come into our doors. They may feel alone, but they at least embraced by somebody when they walk through our doors. It's important. It really is. It really does matter. Um, and so we, we talked about these sort of strategic goals last week, but today we're going to kind of move away from a strategic mindset, and I want us to begin to think a little more tactically, okay? Um, and this is going to be a little different service because I've got some people who are going to come and share some things with you uh, when we look at some of our goals for next year. And, 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 and again, here's my goal for you. It's not that you get all wrapped up in emotions today and somehow make some kind of deep commitment to get involved at some point in some place in the church, but that you would leave here today committed to praying and simply saying this all week long in your quiet time, because I know everybody in this room has a quiet time every day, 
you're having it right now. Okay, but every day I want you to just say, God, where do you want to use me? Where do you want to use me? And then listen, really listen. And so uh, I want to kind of take that off of your plate this morning, but I'm going to ask you to do some things next week. Well, how will that happen? It will happen when we do these two things. We talked about them last week. Wake up, wake up, and strengthen what remains. Wake up and strengthen what remains. Now, obviously in this text of Scripture, he's not dealing with people who are physically asleep. Um, How many of you have ever been physically awake but intellectually asleep? How many of you ever sat to a science class? Hi, Mike. Mike's a science teacher over here. I love you. Thank you. Mike, wake up. I'm talking about you. No. (laughs) Uh, We've all been there. We're physically, our eyes are open. uh, The lights are on, but nobody's home. We've all been there, hadn't we? And I think that's really sort of the picture here. It's not uh, you're, you know, you're dead fast asleep. You, you have all the signs of life, but you're not awake. And simply says, wake up. And then he says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Well, what remains is absolutely what's been here for time, Uh, For us as a church, what remains, if we are honest, if we really want it to be, are timeless truths and principles that have walked the church through millenniums, two of them. And, and, And what remains is the word of God, because the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Um, The purposes of God... Many are the man's uh, plans in a man's heart, but the purpose of God will prevail. The word of God remains. The purposes of God remains. The plan of God is still in place. God's plan is still on track. Now, it may not look like it to us. I mean, we may be looking at this plan thinking, well, look at what's going on around us. And we may think, wow, you know, we're way off base here. Can I tell you something? God's plan is still in place. And God's plan is still right on time. Mark my word, God knows what he's doing. And so I have the promise of God that regardless of what's going on around me, the word of God, the principles of God in his word are in place. The purpose of God is well established and the plan of God is being carried out at this moment. And here's the cool thing. You and I have been invited by the grace of God to join God in what he's doing in our world at this particular point in time in history. And we have the privilege of joining God in what he's doing. Now, that's not like most of us because most of us have our own plans and we're asking God to bless what we're doing. Instead of saying, God, what are you doing? And how do I join you in that? Um, If I were uh, interviewing for, let's say, a coaching job, and I use that because if if I weren't 
a pastor today, that's probably what I would have done. Uh, that's actually what I wanted to do. I think I've shared that with you many times. I, I would love to have been a coach, and I'd love to have been actually a head coach. Uh, that's what I would like to have done. That was sort of my early goals. That's what I strive. But let's say that I was going to, uh, I was going to um, interview for the head coaching job of uh, the Dallas Cowboys because they really need one or maybe USC or UCLA. And let's say they called me and said, we want you to interview for the job. And they said to me, okay, Jim, give us your strategic plan as a coach. And I said, you know, my goal is to play well every game. How long do you think that interview would last? It'd be done, wouldn't it? You know, honestly, what I would have to say, I mean, if, I, if I'm honest, if they were interested in me, they would want to hear strategically what my goals would be. Because, frankly, if you interviewed me to be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, number one, you'd be stupid if you did that. But, uh, but if I had that track record, you would interview me. And what you would want to hear me say is we want to be the Super Bowl champions or if you were interviewing me for UCLA or USC, you would want to hear me say, we want to win the Pac-12, which is really not that big a deal these days. But, if we would, but beyond that, I would want to know that you had aspirations of winning a national championship. Now, if I said that, that would be a strategic mindset. That would be sort of a strategic goal is what it would be. And if you're a good interviewer, your next question would be, so how do you plan to do that? That's a fair question, isn't it? Can you imagine a coach looking at his team before a game and say, okay, guys, we're going to go out there and win. We're just going to win, 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 win. Let's go win because we're going to win. And all the players looking at you going, okay, do, do we have any plays here? I mean, what's our strategic plan? What is the, 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 the tactical plan that we have? Offensively, what kind of offense do we want to run? Defensively, what kind of defense do we want to be? And, and what you would begin to do is you'd begin to sort of develop this program with a great goal of winning a Super Bowl or a national championship, but you would have to build into place a tactical plan to do that, beginning if you were in college and pros with either recruiting or drafting. Because you see, I've learned something. A team is no better than its players. Um, but you also need to know when you're building a team that you're not just collecting talent, you're building a team. You'd have to do those things. Well, the same thing is true of the church. I mean, honestly, would I love to see this church uh, reach 300 new people in the next year? Shoot, I'd love to see this church reach 3,000 people in the next year. Well, that in and of itself is not going to get her done, okay? You got to begin looking and saying, where do we go from here? What do we do from here? Now, know this. In all of it, our, 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 we're, we're built to grow. And, and so we tactically work to sort of 
grow the church under the lordship or the authority of God's word, under the authority of Jesus Christ. You say, um, well, what, what would growth look like? I found this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. It's a great passage, and it says, uh, Paul, as he's giving thanks to God for the brethren, for the followers of Christ in the church of Thessalonica, as he was writing that, he says, it's, it's, I, I, we, always, we, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. And then he says, because your faith is growing abundantly, circle those words, your faith is growing abundantly. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith a growing abundantly? Do you believe God more today than you did five years ago? Are you trusting God more today than you did five years ago? Is your faith growing abundantly or do you need to wake up? Your faith is growing abundantly. And then he says something else. He said, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the church more today than you did 10 years ago? If not, I would say wake up and strengthen what remains. Have you noticed how faith often, and I shared this a week or so ago, that faith sometimes gets weaker as we get older? And we believe God less instead of more. Have you ever noticed how if you really get involved in the church and find out what it's really like? It's a hospital for sinners, not a showcase for saints. You guys did know that, right? If it was a showcase for saints, would, do we even need to open the door in the morning? No, it's a hospital for sinners. And you know what? When you get involved in the inner workings of the church, you find out things and you think, whoa. How many of you have ever heard people say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites? Have you ever heard anybody say that? How many of you have ever said that? I could say that. But you see, it's not those truths that diminish my love for the church. It's those truths that deepens my love for the church. It really does. And what you'll find is the church is a place where God's people come having been impacted and saved by the grace of God and they begin to grow and change and over the course of the time hopefully and I think in reality we begin to reflect more and more of who Christ is because we understand more and more who Christ is in our lives. Um, We need to strengthen what remains. The last few days have been tragic for some people uh, over in the other valley. I don't know how many structures were lost, how many homes. Last time I heard it was between 25 and 30. And uh, I will tell you that in the days ahead, crews will be walking into those places to rake, rake through the charred remains of homes that were tragically burned by the weekend's fires. And under the direction of owners and trained workers, crews uh, in our 
in our program they call ash out crews go in and we sort of wade through the ashes and try to retain something of value because there are things we value and so I guarantee you they're going to be looking for things like heirlooms, family heirlooms, they're going to be looking for uh, jewelry, they're going to be looking for any remains of pictures, things of that nature because there's something of great value, that's what remains and they want to find what remains so they can build with it. I'll give you an example of this many years ago and then we're going to get into some interviews and I'll tell you why in a moment. Many years ago my sister and her husband um, heard God's call to move to Alaska and they sold most of everything they had and packed what was really valuable to them in a, in a trailer and they made their way all the way from Texas, the Panhandle area of Texas, all the way up the coast and all the way to Anchorage, Alaska. When they arrived in Anchorage, the church that was sponsoring the church they were going to plant said, look, you're tired, just park the trailer here tonight and then tomorrow we'll come and we'll begin helping you unload into your home. Well, that night, um, someone stole their trailer and everything that was very precious to them was in that trailer. Um, the pictures of their children, um, valuables that they had retained through the years, all of Terry's library, every sermon he'd ever written. I told him getting rid of those was not a big deal. I've I heard him, but uh, <laughs> I teased him about that. And um, they didn't know what to do because it's all gone. So they start in Alaska. First day on the job in Alaska, they lose everything but one another, and they had to begin rebuilding. Well, they actually caught the people who did it, and they had taken the trailer out, and They'd taken anything valuable and sold it, and the things they did not deem valuable, they burned. All of his books were burned. All of his sermons were burned. All of his children's pictures, all of their wedding pictures were burned. They were devastated. You know, they, they weren't real excited. They didn't say, well, cool, we found the ashes. Uh, several years later, Terry was uh, doing some work with a prison ministry, and they would go in and share the gospel with the prisoners. And he went in, and he sat down with a guy uh, that was there in the prison. And Terry said, hey, you know, I don't care what you've done. God loves you and cares about you, and he loves you, and uh, there's nothing you've ever done that God won't forgive you of. And the guy goes, no, 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 you don't get it. You do not understand. And Terry said, no, 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 seriously. Um, what, whatever, whatever you've done, God will forgive you. I mean, I, I, I can't think of anything you would do that God wouldn't forgive you for. And the guy said, but sir, you don't understand what I did. And Terry said, one of the rules of thumb is you never ask them what they did. You might they may voluntarily tell you what they did, but you don't ask. And the guy said, no, you don't understand what I did. And Terry said, well, you don't need, you're not obligated in any way to tell me, but if you'd like to. He said, well, I, I stole a trailer of a guy who was here from Texas and he came to plant a church. 
And Terry said, I sit there, and he said, tears welled up in my eyes. And he said, at that moment, I had to decide what was more valuable, what had been taken from me or the person who had taken it. And he said, you know, I can tell you this. The person you did that to would have a hard time forgiving you. But I can tell you that the God who loved the person you took it from can forgive you. And I can tell you the person you took it from, if he loved Jesus the way he says he does, will forgive you too. And the guy said, how can you say that? He said, because it was me. And that day, that man got on his knees and accepted Jesus into his heart. Well, tactically, we need to begin moving deeper. So we have five tactical goals or tactical goals, tactics for reaching our goals in the coming year. You're going to hear a little bit about budget because... This year, we've developed our budget. It's kind of been different for us because we kind of developed the fixed goals, fixed offerings up here. We've developed the ministry budgets from the campuses up is what we've done. And we all have just, we have so much money we don't know what to do with. <laughs> Am I right, Larry? No. no. <laughs> Larry's the chairman of our finance team. So if you have any questions, go see the bald-headed guy over here. No, there's two of it. What is it about money and no hair? I don't get that. So, so maybe you pull it out. But uh, So we've had to decide where we take what resources we do have because this year we made a decision to really hold our budget at last year's income. That doesn't mean we're holding our gold, but we're holding our budget there. And so we've had to act tactically and think tactically about what we're going to do to reach these goals. And for Canyon Country, we've, we've decided to really focus on about five primary areas. And we're going to look at these this morning. I'm going to ask some people to come and share a little bit with you because they're going to be working with us in these areas. One of the things I've learned is that if a good head coach is a good head coach, he, he's good at, at putting a staff around him, right? Right? Okay. And so that's sort of what we're realizing we have to do. And so um, I, I, I want to give these to you, and I'm, I'm going to ask them to come. And this is only going to take a minute because I told them three to five minutes, three to five of their minutes, not my three to five minutes. But the first one that I want to mention is, is uh, and it's not necessarily in an order of, uh, of importance. I think there's balance in all these areas, but this one is extremely important because if this one's not true, I guarantee we will not exceed at the others. The first one is we want to we want to deepen our discipleship. We want to deepen our discipleship. Um, Jesus in the great command, commandment, great commission, said, "Go therefore and make what? What was it? Disciples." He didn't say go make converts. It doesn't mean they don't have to be converted. I understand they got to be converted. But the goal of the church is not conversion. The goal of the church is to make disciples. Uh, let me introduce Nathan Trothing to you. Nathan, come up here a minute. Uh, welcome this guy for a minute. Uh, if you don't know him, you should. Um, make sure you're on there. There you go. Uh, I, I just want to ask him a couple of questions, and I'm just going to let him share. Let me tell you something about this guy. He's been in our church now for about two, two years, two years. 
he, uh, he finally woke up and left another church. And no, I'm joking. I say that jokingly. Uh, Nathan's uh, been a Christian for some time, and he has sensed in his life some sense of calling to ministry and has really struggled with the idea of whether that should be vocational or otherwise. And uh, he's just, uh, he's become someone who really pushes me to think. That's hard to do. Right? No. No. <laughs> but he really does. I mean, this guy has really made me think as much as anything. And the one thing I love about him, he has a master's degree from Talbot Seminary. So that's pretty impressive, isn't it? A master of, master of divinity from Talbot Seminary. But the one thing you hear about him and hear in his heart real quickly is that he has a real heart to see people grow in, in their faith. And so I, I want him to take a moment to talk about discipleship. And here's what I want you to do on your outline. You see the word vision, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write something down that, his sa- that he says that engages with your heart. Okay, I just want you to write something down. There's no blanks to fill in here. He's not going to say, you know, you know, like me, I always give you a little blank to fill in. It's not going to be there. I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit might say to you through what he's saying. This is going to be true with all of them. But I want you to listen to what he says about discipleship because he said something, some things to me the other day that just really captured my heart. So, Nathan, take a few mo- a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes if you could, and kind of share some of your heart in this thing. Thanks, Jim. Um, so to start with, I want to start with what is a disciple? Um, and to look at that, you can look at what the world says a disciple is and all that. But for us, it's about what scripture says. And Acts chapter 11, um, we read that the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. And so a disciple really is just a Christian. And if you don't know the background, Christian actually started as a derogatory title for Christ followers. So if you are a Christian, you are a disciple, and all that really means is you are a follower of Jesus. To get to discipleship, as Pastor Jim introduced, you go to um, Matthew 28, 19, or Matthew 28, I'm blanking, 19, um, where Jesus gives the command, go and make disciples. I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on that right now. Jim will kick me off here in about five minutes, but... (laughs) Um, essentially, that's an imperative. That's the imperative of the church is to go and make disciples. That is what we are about. And if we're successful, that's what we are doing. If we're not doing that, we're not doing anything at the end of the day. And how do you do that? How do you disciple? And what Jesus tells us in that passage is you go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. So those are the roots of where we're at. Um, with discipleship is being baptized. There's no such thing as an unbaptized believer. Mm-hmm. If you've not been baptized, we have mechanisms for that here at Heart of the Canyon, so you can put that on your connection card. I'll plug that for you. <laughs> um, but the teaching side really comes down to two things. Part of it starts intellectual, right? We need to know who God is. If we don't have a biblical understanding of God, His Son, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, We don't really know who we're following or what we're following. If we don't know that we can trust the word of God as the authority of our truth, then we don't know what actually is truth. So that's where you have to start with the intellectual side. But when you're getting past that, you have to deal with life. And that is where things get more difficult. Because the more we study the word and we look at what it means to be a follower of Christ the more we see our lives and our practices and our thoughts are in conflict with the word of God. 
And if we're going to be intellectually honest with ourselves, um, I think we'd say we probably greatly struggle with discipleship. Um, we struggle as a church in cultivating a culture of discipleship where people can come together, whether one-on-one or in small groups, and be safe to open up and be honest. We are all, for most of us, if you don't work in a church, you're out in the real world out there dealing with the wolves and everything else that wants to tear you away from your relationship with Christ. Because I will argue Satan has two goals. Either A, he doesn't want you to be saved, and I believe once you are saved, you can't lose that salvation. So if you're saved, that goal is done. Satan can't take that from you. But a second goal then is to make you absolutely useless for the kingdom of God. And that's where discipleship comes in. And how do we as a church cultivate an environment where you can come in safety from the world to find encouragement, to find prayer and support to deal with the things that you're going to deal with in the world? Where are you going to come in the church to be open and honest that your life is not aligned, your practices are not aligned with Scripture? And to deal with tough things that we need to work out. Because I don't know if you've read the New Testament or not, but we're not called to be a bunch of individual believers. We're called to be a community. And if you try to fix yourself, you're going to fail. And God calls us in a community to lean on each other, to help each other, to have that safe environment, to confess our sins to one another, and hopefully receive encouragement and prayer and support to combat that so that your lives can be useful for the kingdom of God, that each and every one of us here can achieve to the capacity that God has gifted you to glorify him with your life because that's what our call is. You want me to preach for a whole sermon or should you kill me, cut me off? I, I would ask, are you a disciple? Now, for many of you, I've always said there's sort of discipling to and discipling in. Uh, You may be on your way to faith in Christ. We would love to walk with you on that journey. You know, when I read the New Testament, the disciples were actually called disciples before there was ever a resurrection. And hard time believing that resurrection thing, but they weren't really going to be discipled in Christ until they came to a point of understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, much of what he talked about. Now, there's some mechanisms we've used for a long time in our church. Uh, some of those will always be true of us, as long as I'm in leadership at uh, whatever level it, it is. But let me just share with you some opportunities that you might have for becoming a disciple or really growing in your discipleship. Uh, our next step classes. Uh, you've heard us talk about these ad nauseum because I talk about these things all the time. Uh, We used to call them 101, 201, 301, and 401. Now, let me tell you what those are. Basically, these are tool classes is what they are. These are classes that really help you understand how to use the tools that God's given to us. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I'm just simply going to say this. Many of you have taken membership, sort of the connection part of this thing, but you've never gone on to the other classes. Maybe some of you have taken what we call 201. We called it maturity, membership maturity. You've never taken that class, and so you have a hard time reading your Bible and praying. You have a hard time understanding the biblical concept of stewardship. 
And the third one is listed on here, small groups. I'll get to that in just a second. Some of you have taken that class, but you've never really discovered what your ministry is, which was level three. God's given you gifts and abilities, and we talk in our class about how God shaped you for ministry. How many of you have a shape? How many of you have a shape? Okay, people tell me, you know, you need to get in shape, and I tell them round is a shape. Okay, <laughs> every one of you has a shape that God gave you, spiritual gift, heart, ability, personality, experiences. God shaped you for ministry. Problem is a lot of you don't know what that means, and so you sit in church, you're not really being used of God to build up the body of Christ. He gave gifts. We'll talk about this at the end. He gave us these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. He expects you to use whatever he's, gift, he's given you to serve in the body of Christ. So, so uh, 301, 401 is mission. Uh, you need to be on mission with God in the world. I'm just going to stop there. Some of you need to take those classes. Some of you need to take them again because you didn't get it the first time. You know how I know? Okay, and we don't give you these information. We don't give you this information so you can think, okay, I've been through one, two, three, and four. We do it because we, want, we believe these habits will change your life. Number two, small groups. Uh, we, we need uh, more small groups. I think my last count was we have about 11 sort of loosely knit together small groups. We need to get more specific in that. Some of you need to step up and begin to be trained to lead small groups. I'm not going to just throw you in leading a small group. That would be unfair to them. That would be very unfair to you. So we need to develop some training to help you learn how to effectively lead a small group. Uh, number three is one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. Dave Krogstad sitting right over here. Dave, wave your hand as if people don't know you. Uh, well, that was a hearty wave. There you go. <laughs> Dave developed a course called one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Let me, let me tell you a, a quick story. I was talking to a man the other day, and I said, are you in a small group? He got tears in his eyes. He said, they scare me to death. He said, why? He said, because I have some learning disabilities, and I'm so afraid to be in that environment. I said, would you, do, would you be okay if we put you into a one-on-one -on -one discipleship program where you could feel more confident walking into a small group? And he said, that would be the coolest thing. Now, some of you may not feel. You know, Dave has walked, how many people have you walked through this discipleship program at Heart of the Canyons? About 130. About 130. Okay, isn't that awesome? It really is. And uh, I, I will tell you, guys, this guy, uh, it, it, you need to find out. Now, he can't lead everybody in this room. Some of those 130 are sitting in this room, and you need to be involved in leading some other people through that one-on-one -on -one material. And so 101, and then last that is on this list is what we call critical truth classes. These are going to be classes that we're going to be teaching. Now that we're going to two services, we want to provide classes in the early service once a month that are going to address what I call critical truths. They're going to be doctrinal issues. Uh, you, you talked about knowing God, knowing Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit, really knowing who they are. We want to help you with that in that environment. Uh, where's Dan? Dan Nelson. Dan is... Uh, young man grew up in our church he's still a young man uh, growing up in our church but uh, Dan's uh, got a, a background in in uh, biology uh, and God's really moved in his heart to look at the whole creation issue again and God's really stirred his heart because he thinks by and large uh, the secular has robbed the biblical when it comes to the issue of creation we want to look at some issues like that we want to look at how do you talk to an atheist Anybody ever talk to somebody who's atheist and you think, I don't know what to say? 
We're going to talk about different kinds of things like that. So we're going to have what we call critical truth classes that are offered one Sunday morning a month at 9 o'clock. You can go if you agree to stay for the second service or work with kids in the second service. And so these are tools we want you to pray about getting involved in. I'm really excited about these. There's some wonderful things. Now, all of this is our goal is to deepen our discipleship. I don't want you to just pack your brain full of information. I want us to learn how to live out the Christian life is what I want us to do. There'll be other things, but those are four things. Number two is engage, engage our community. And I'm going to just share with you here real quickly. I wasn't going to do this because I thought, well, I got to find somebody to do that. And it was actually Nathan who said to me, uh, I don't know anybody who has a greater heart for the community than you do. Because you know me, if you know me, I love this community. And my heart breaks every day of my life when I drive through this community and I see the lostness of people who frankly are pretty comfortable in their lostness. And my heart really, I mean, if you, you, if you want me to go to a, a worship event, no offense, Marcus, I love worship, but if you want me to go to a worship event, I like doing that. But if you said to me, we're going to be feeding junior hires at the hot dogs on Thursday nights, you can count me in. And I love to do that. And here's my vision. And this sounds ridiculous to many of you, but this is my desire. I want every person, every person in Canyon Country to have an opportunity to hear the story of Jesus. I don't know what they're going to do. I can tell you, I'm reading the Bible. I just want people to have an opportunity, guys. I just want people to hear this amazing story of Jesus. Look, I learned a long time ago is witnessing is sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I don't really get caught up in the results of it. I mean, I love the results, especially when they're positive. But it's not my job to worry about that. Wouldn't it be cool if our church was equipped enough that when opportunity arose, we could simply share the truths of the gospel. That's why I love things like three circles. It sounds so stupid to some people, but I just love it because it's a mechanism that allows me to engage with people and engage them into the greatest story that's ever been told. And that was the story of Jesus. It really stirs my heart. And I want you to get where you can do that. That's part of what some of these classes will be, is helping you learn how to effectively communicate the gospel to people you work with, live with, play ball with, go to school with, and we can do those things. So there are three things I want to share with you opportunity-wise. We're going to have some community engagement opportunities, as we always have, things we do here at the school. We have an event coming up, not an event. We have a, a, an opportunity coming up uh, that we're going to do this year at Thanksgiving. Uh, you're going to hear more about it in a week or two from Jim Gustin. Uh, remember giving Thanksgiving that used to be done here in the community? That thing went away. And we want to bring something of it back is what we want to do. But we want to do it differently because Jim and I, and Jim agrees with this. I know basically he's the one who talked to me about it, that the event really didn't accomplish evangelically what it needed to accomplish because we didn't really build any relationships with people. We just fed them, gave them clothes, and sent them on their way. Well, the Bible doesn't say give a cup of water. It says, give a cup of water, what? In the name of the Lord. And so we want to create a way to do that. Jim's going to explain it at Thanksgiving. He'll come and give you more ideas, but it's going to give you an opportunity to minister to an individual or some individuals uh, on a personal basis, not just uh, give money and we'll provide turkey or dinner 
our music, our clothes, and we really don't have to be get our hands dirty. We want to get involved in people's lives. Jim's going to share some of that. So there'll be opportunities like that that are coming. Uh, I will tell you, uh, the, the chili cook-off, this thing right here. How many of you got one of these in the worship folder today? This is not for you to put on your refrigerator so you remember, okay? <laughs> this is for you to give away, okay? And we've got more of these. You'll get more of them next week. We gave you them one this week. We've also developed little cards because we don't have chili cook-offs every Sunday. Maybe we should, but we don't. Uh, maybe we shouldn't. But we, we developed these cards. It just says all are welcome, and it's just information about our church. If you meet people out in the open, there's a few of them back here on the table. Let's go by and get a couple of these. Guys, I meet people all the time, all the time. You say, well, I'm not like that. Well, you do too. You meet people all the time. Every one of us are meeting people. I mean, you rub shoulders with people. Man, I, I met a guy the other day pumping gas. He was on the other side. And uh, I said to him, I, I said to him, uh, uh, are you going to sign your loan papers in a minute? He goes, what do you mean? I said, you are getting a tank of gas, aren't you? At the price of gas, you need a loan to get it. So anyway, we talked to him. I invited him to church. Uh, he's not here, but I invited him. I told him. <laughs> And uh, uh, easy invitation opportunities, those are things we want to do. The Internet, Facebook, things of that nature, we're making it easier for you to do. And then evangelism training opportunities. We want to help you learn how to go confident in sharing your faith. The next thing is we want to step up Sunday morning some. I think Sunday morning is good. How many of you like Sunday morning? It's about 70%. All right, that's good. I appreciate you coming, those of you who don't like it. Um, but... Uh, but we, we believe uh, we need to step it up. Where's Marcus? Where is he? Here he is. Come up here a minute. Um, this guy has really uh, challenged me <laughs> in a positive way. Um, he, he believes that Sunday morning is a, a time when, uh, well, I tell you what, I, let, come up here. I want you to just talk a little bit about uh, kind of Sunday mornings, worship, and and how you uh, believe, well, just tell us what you think. I won't. All right. Hey, this, this is a pretty loud. I think I'm louder than you. You always are. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I wrote some stuff down because if you put a microphone and I'm not singing, I'll get my foot in my mouth somehow. So I wrote some stuff down. But I'll still manage to get my foot in my mouth anyway, so don't worry about that. Um, Sunday morning... Uh, is an important time, uh, not just, I mean, of course, I'm a musical person, that's what I do. I, I, you're not going to escape that with, with me, but I believe that humans are very musical creatures, and I think that, um, I think that in order to reach people, we reach them in ways that, that they want to be reached, that, that, that they receive it. Does that make sense? Um, look at what I... Yeah, so I, told, I was just actually talking about this with Jim earlier. A long time ago, the Catholic Church was, people couldn't read back then, you know, thousands of years ago at the beginning of the, the Catholic Church. So the only way that the average person got to hear the gospel at all was through music. That's the only place that anybody got any doctrine because they couldn't read. The, the only people who could read were the educated priests and everything. So, and, and that's still kind of the case today. You know, you you can tell people and put stuff in front of them, but the way people experience the gospel, I still believe, is very strong. I, I think that they experience it through music. Um, and so we want to be 
We want to be sensitive to that. So how many of you guys know that there's no cap to the number of people that can be saved? Yeah. Well, we, we kind of treat that idea, we kind of treat Sunday, Sunday morning and, and Christianity like, no, that's, that's my thing. Get out of here, newcomers. This is our thing, and we like to do our thing our way. And I, I, I just want to challenge us as a group to reject that idea. You know, Jesus didn't call us to make converts and then make them comfortable. He called us to discipleship. And so that's what we want to do through Sunday morning. So some of the things that I've been focusing on, a lot of the the changes that you guys have seen, they're very intentional. We're not just willy-nilly throwing things, throwing things around. We're being very intentional with the things that we're doing, you know, with the the panels and even volume, that, 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 that type of stuff is very... We've thought a lot about it, and, it, and a lot of the idea for me is to eliminate distractions. So, it, it, you know, if I'm playing keys and I hit a really nasty chord, you may be right in the middle of worship, and then you go, ooh, that chord was interesting. I heard it this morning. I, no, I'm, not, I'm joking. I'm joking. There, <laughs> may, there might have been. I don't know. No, I'm joking. But, but you know what I mean? There's, there's some things that will pull you right out of the, of the atmosphere, atmosphere of worship. So... The, the types of things we're focusing on are the things that lend to this atmosphere of worship so that, so that we ourselves can engage in worship and experience the truth of the gospel through music in, in a way that it really punctures our hearts, but also so that anybody who's visiting in, on a Sunday morning will, have the, will, will see the body of Christ truly worshiping, and that's when they'll realize, okay, there's something, there's something going on here. There's something real about this. And so that's the kind of things that, that we've been focusing on. I, I'm, I've also been very intentional. One of, one of the things that's very important to me is a healthy worship team that we're all getting along, that we really enjoy being there with each other. And I hope I'm doing a great job of that. I really enjoy being with those people, and, and we have a lot of fun. Um, uh, and, and excellence in music so that there's less of those awkward chord types of distractions Lights, you know, we, we started turning down the lights. Uh, it's, I know for me, when I'm sitting where you're sitting and I'm worshiping like this, sometimes if the lights are very bright and people are staring at me, I, maybe I get a little subconscious. And I'm like, ooh, that, I'm the only goofball who's doing that, so I'm just going to tone it down. But, but I, I've been talking some and trying to encourage everybody that, that we're going to set free our inhibitions, and we're going to worship the way that we were asked to worship by our Creator. And so one of the things that helps us do that is getting the lights out so no one's staring at me, and I could just do my thing. I worship and respond how I want to worship. So I think that's some of the stuff that we've talked about. Um, is there anything else specific I need to Sounds good to me. To mention? Yeah. I, I will tell you that a lot of the environmental changes you see, like these backdrops and things of that nature, um, he believes that those are part of the eye gate. You know, we, we don't just worship with what we say. We worship in what we see. The heavens declare the glories of God. When you see things, it affects the way you worship. And so environment around us matters. Greeters, ushers, um, friendly greeters and ushers. Have you ever met an unfriendly greeter or usher? If you're not friendly, please don't be a greeter or usher. We'll put you, you can be a money counter because you'll be real unhappy with that one. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but all of this is designed to create an environment where people, and, and it's really not just about non-believers coming in. It's about you. Because here's what I know. Some weeks, 
the devil has beat you to death. You ever had those weeks? And you know, I don't know about you, but when I come in here on Sundays, it, it, it restores my soul. And so there are a lot of ways that you might be involved. Um, if you look back here on the back, there's your phone. Thanks, Marcus. Oh, before, Marcus. before I step down, I, just, I want to say I, I really believe in the culture here at Heart of the Canyons, like in a really strong way. I, I, you know, you guys know I've been here for a year, came from Texas, Houston, Texas. We're in the Bible Belt down there. And coming out here, it was kind of a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> coming out here, stepping into L.A., you know, I'm doing pop music at the, at the same time. And so I'm around a lot of stuff that I wasn't around in, in Texas. And it's very apparent how much the gospel needs to get out here. Mm-hmm. And so when I walked in the first Sunday that I visited with you guys and heard, you know, on the phone, heard with him his southern accent, but then walked in, it felt like I was walking into one of the smaller Texas churches that is really making an impact in their community. In fact, my brother is the worship director at that church, and it feels like the same church. I really believe that this culture that we have here at Heart of the Canyons needs to get out to these people here. And I think we can do that. I think, I think our church is destined to not be a small, insignificant church, but to be a real force in this community and change the way California and L.A. operates. I really believe that. There you go. Thanks, Marcus. Okay. Again, there are places for you uh, to, um, to, to get engaged, uh, set up and tear down. When we go to two services, those become two separate ministries because they're going to be setting up as early as 6 in the morning, and I'm, I don't have a good conscience, a conscience to ask them to stay till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to have our setup team, and then we're going to have a teardown crew. You'll need to be involved in that. Uh, greeters, ushers, parking attendants. How many of you have noticed we have a parking attendant lately? Where's Chewy? There you go, man. He, he wasn't here one Sunday, and somebody came to me and goes, I really missed him. So Chewy, when you're not here, you're missed. So you can't miss anymore. Or maybe you can join Chewy, and he'll teach you how to do it. That man knows how to do it. He's a, he's a car salesman. He can sell anything. So uh, <laughs> media, as you know, media is everything. It doubles now to some degree because of we're going to two services, hospitality, next steps, security. We want to develop a good security system here because the world is nuts. We want to make sure our kids are well cared for. And I want to make sure I'm well protected, so, um, and you are, so let's leave it at that. So, The third is strengthen our children's ministries. Let me, let me go back to the discipleship. Alicia, where are you? Here she is right over here. This is the children's director for Heart of the Canyons, Canyon Country. Alicia, you can go ahead and start coming up here. Uh, this is an amazing young lady. Um, let, me, let me just I'll give you some bad news. Uh, Erin Giltner, who was with us and has been with us for several years, recently resigned from her position and is not going to be serving in that role anymore. Uh, she, because of the multiple services and multiple sites, it got to a point where it was basically impossible for her to be at all of them. So what we did, because financially we just could not afford to hire another children's person, we'd made a decision for her to be at one particular location week in, week out. Uh, and Alicia has been serving here under her leadership for some time, is going to be here. And Katie Mbulu, who's the uh, children's director over on, on, in the Newhall campus. And those are some hard decisions. We really had to wrestle through that. 
we really did. But Alicia is the children's director for our campus. Uh, this young lady has uh, got a lot, of, a lot of energy. She's got ideas. And so I, I, I'm, number one, thank you for doing this. I'm so proud of you for stepping up and share a little bit of, of your heart for, for our children's ministries here at Heart of the Canyons. Um, I have a lot, that's not on. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Marcus. Um, I have a lot of goals, but overall is to create a friendly and safe environment for kids to learn about Jesus and come to Christ and get baptized, and I mean, I'm, if you come back there during service, I'm running around just to make sure that everybody, it's a well-orchestrated yeah. event back there. Um, but yeah, just making sure that the kids feel safe and welcomed and they're just having fun. Yeah. But learning about Jesus, of yeah. course. Yeah, and, and let, me, let me say real quick, uh, Alicia has already made a, a couple of, of one particularly significant change in her children's ministry. What we've been doing for the mm -hmm. last years is we have sort of um, all of our kids in one room together for probably 45 minutes of the day, and it was a wonderful time. But what happened is your teacher is teaching kids from kindergarten all the way up through sixth grade, and we find that uh, in some ways, the kids were disconnecting, and this was how we got this. Is we had a long, she had a long meeting with the people who are currently working in her children's ministry, and the teachers were really struggling because they were having a hard time teaching with a kindergartner and a sixth grader at the same time. I mean, it's hard to teach a sixth grader, period, because um, they're too close to junior high, I guess. But uh, and so we've already uh, separated the groups where there's first through third. Uh, four through six, and our goal ultimately is to have enough teachers, that's you, by the way, to, to break it up to first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And our goal, please hear this, is to really begin to develop our kids. If you don't know this, our kids are getting killed in the public school systems today because they don't know what they believe about God, what, they, what the Bible teaches about certain subjects. So they're going into our public schools and we're finding kids as early as the eighth grade, ninth grade, who are turning toward atheism because they don't have a good biblical foundation and filters through which to hear and see these things. And so our goal, if you want to know my goal for our children's department, we want to turn out the most stable kids in the country when it comes to their faith. We want them to be exposed to biblical truth so that they understand what the Bible says about creation versus what the world says. What the Bible says about any subject you want to put there. And they have the filters to be able to differentiate between what's true and what's not true. That'd be a pretty good goal, wouldn't it? And so Alicia is, uh, I mean, she's a real gift to us. This girl's working so hard. And we've already had some really good comeback, like Caleb Grissom has already said, when are we going to do that again? Are we going to keep doing that? Because I like that. Yeah. Because it's... It's engaging them. Yeah, and it's just, it's really cool to see them getting yeah. excited. Yeah, because they're going into junior high next year, and we need their attention. We really do. So look, look, a couple of four things, and uh, you, maybe you're here today, and you've taught in the past, you want to teach again, you'll be the teacher in these classrooms. Uh, you want to be an assistant, maybe you say, well, I'm not really qualified to teach. By the way, let me tell you one story about this. A lady who taught in our church for years and has not been teaching now for a couple of years said one of the reasons she didn't teach is she discovered, and you'll appreciate this, Nathan, 
that one of the greatest tools God used in her life for her discipleship is that she had to prepare every week for the lesson she taught on Sunday morning. And going through those stories, learning the principles of those things were vital in her spiritual growth because she said, I had to learn at a deeper level than I taught the kids. It was amazing how God used me teaching in Sunday school as a discipleship mechanism for the growth of my own heart and mind. And so it's, it's a wonderful way for you to do that. Assistance, uh, we need people helping us with check-in because our kids don't just go to class anymore. We believe in a security system. And again, security, there are just a lot of ways you can get involved. And so, you know, maybe God wants you to work with our kids. And uh, so, Alicia, please. thank you. You got anything else you want to say? Uh, please help. Please help. <laughs> They're fun, I swear. <laughs> and by the way, uh, the, all of the outside stuff for the Harvest Festival, she's managing the whole deal pretty much. So you need to get involved in that and bring some chili. And then last is embrace our, our, our students, our, adult, our youth, our student ministries. Uh, where's Justin? Justin, you here? There he is, right there. The guy with a shark on. And uh, this guy's been our, our, in our, involved in our youth ministry now. What, about six years? About six years. Started with junior high, and then he ended up inheriting the whole group. Uh, he, you know, he's. A, I'll let him talk. You talk a minute and kind of share some of your vision. Awesome. Um, so I want to keep it as simple as possible. Um, when dealing with youth, um, the first thing that we want to make sure happens in our group is that our students feel seen and they feel like they're heard. Um, we're not perfect at it. Um, but our goal every time we meet, every time we have an event, is we want to make sure that the students feel like they belong, uh, that they feel like this is a space that they can get connected to, that they can be themselves, um, that they won't be judged. Um, a, a big blessing we've had recently, um, for those who don't know, Wednesdays we've been meeting in this NPR. And before that, we were uh, fortunate to have a, uh, a house open for us for group. And we've seen tremendous growth in our Wednesdays. Um, we've had some new students, about seven. Um, and it was... That's when, two weeks, guys. That's, yeah. And, we've only been here two weeks. And um, the, when talking with these students, um, it was very clear that I was like, in my, in my head, I'm like, oh, they keep coming back. I'm like, oh, that's cool, but why? Like, and it's because they can just be them. Uh, and we're not judging them, we're just embracing them. And um, I don't think students are going to really connect with the gospel unless they are in a space where they feel like they can be seen and heard. And so we wanna make sure that that um, is always a driving force of our ministry, that uh, as leaders, um, we are there to be with those students, to connect with them, to just, uh, not just be leaders to them, but just to like partner with them to help guide them, to be friends to them. Um, I mean, we have a student, we had a student, Caitlin Post, who's now a leader. And I look at things like that and I just think it's the coolest thing that um, we have students who just come back because they can just be them and they don't have to put on a show um, because we're not gonna put on a show. We're gonna be ourselves, they're gonna be our, themselves. And so, that's our big vision for our ministry, is to make everything we do about authenticity. Um, we, want this, we want it to be a real space, an honest space. Um, we've transitioned into doing small groups, or as we're calling them, extra small groups, 
because, um, you know, that's what we do. We make fun names. But um, these extra small groups are what, exactly what you expect. They're extra small. Uh, there are about three, four students um, with, paired with one leader. And those groups just break out on Wednesdays. And it's a space that um, allows them to go through questions that are provided or to just do prayer requests, to just talk. You know, we do things called What's Good Wednesday if we feel like students are engaging and it's like, what's good? And because we want to make sure everything we do, these students feel like they have an avenue to just be open, to be honest, to be seen, to be heard. And so um, I feel like this is just a perfect name for it. Embrace our student ministries. Let's just scratch ministries. Embrace our students. Mm. Embrace the students who are here at this church. Uh, embrace the students who... Um, are being constantly influenced by the culture, by their peers, by friends, by social media. Uh, we want to make sure that we have a space that is uh, constantly pointing them towards the gospel, constantly pointing them towards Jesus uh, through our actions, through the way we treat one another. Um, and uh, that's just, is always our goal. We want them to belong. There you go. I get it. Just, just areas where there are opportunities for you to get involved is, uh, again, small group leaders. If you're willing to pour into the lives of three or four kids. Can I say something about yeah. that, too? Uh, small group leaders definitely needed, um, or extra small group leaders, sorry, um, <laughs> needed because we have a lot of leaders, but if one leader is not able to be there on a Wednesday, you know, it can change the whole dynamic of the group. And so having uh, some key extra, some extra small group leaders, that's a lot of extras, um, <laughs> is truly beneficial because the more influence for the students, the better. And another big thing, I know it's not specifically on here, we need leaders who can sing and lead worship because I can't. Um, we, on I've, Wednesdays... <laughs> I've heard it. Yeah, you don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> uh, on Wednesdays, we're fortunate to have Lenny who on Sundays is at Sunland, for those who know Lenny. Um, but uh, we have a lot of changes coming up next year, a lot. Um, and because of that, I'm trying to think ahead. And so, yes, we need small group leaders, but if you're in here and you're thinking about like, man, that might be cool, and if you can sing and if you can play guitar, oh, game changer. So please <laughs> come talk to me because uh, I think that would just be a huge, huge, huge um, aspect of our ministry, because on Sundays, we don't do worship, because as I said, I can't sing. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure I specified that. So yeah. for those of you in here who may have those gifts and are thinking about it, uh, know that uh, there is a, a platform in this church for you um, beyond just worship. You can do worship and connect with these students. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Now, I want to close. I know, I know this, somebody said this is the same length you always go, but it seems longer because everybody else has talked. But um, if you're guests with us today, this is not a normal service for us because we're really trying to set up for our immediate and long-term future. It's really where our heart is. My heart is to really redirect this church in the next 15 months and begin realizing the potential we have. And it, it comes because all of us engage and get involved. There's a verse at the bottom of your outline that I want to pull up real quick. 
He says he gave some to be apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, pastors and teachers. And then he says this, here's the reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. If we're going to build Heart of the Canyons, it's, it's going to be us doing it together. That's what it's going to be. And, and again, I, I said to you this morning, I didn't want you to, to start saying, oh, great, I feel guilty because they need this and they need that. That's not my goal today. My goal is simply to inform you on how you can begin to pray about how God might get you involved. Now, there's a lot of things not on this list that we need to do. Our prayer ministry is pretty important. It really is. Uh, it, because it's not on this list doesn't mean that it's not important, guys. I, it, if I had listed everything we need to be doing, we might be here a long, long time. But out of these things, we're really going to see those things grow and change. And I want to encourage you to pray this week and say, God, where do you want me to get involved? Because next week, I'm going to make you feel guilty. I'm joking. I know some of you say, well, I ain't coming. Okay. You know what I want you to do is find where God wants to use you. That's all I want. I guarantee you all this pastor has ever wanted for you is for you to find Jesus and then find his purpose for your life. That's all I want. That's all I'll ever want for you. But my heart breaks because I see so many who know Jesus, who live as if there is no purpose. And there is. And God wants to use you in a magnificent way. And so my prayer this week is that you'll just pray and say, God, where do you want to use me? This, we could use some of everything. But I know this that God will supply all of, his, all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. This church started as Heart of the Canyons with 13 people. God provided everything we needed. And as we look to the future, okay, my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And that's just not about money. It's about people and places to serve. And so I want you to just take this week to pray about it and say, God, how can you use me? Father, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.